We're talking about living free and God's presence is, is such the lead in any heart that is going to find that new place and that liberated place. So it's so, so important to grow in being comfortable in God's presence, in being, being passionate for God's presence. We're looking to God to help us. And so each week we're going to God's Word and even the guests that we have, like Chad Robichaud that will be here in two weeks, is going to be so helpful. He spent eight different tours in Afghanistan and went through one of the deepest valleys in his life with post-traumatic stress disorder. And you will hear how God helped him over a process to find healing and freedom. You'll hear from his wife. Not only does he have an earned PhD, he's also a certified counselor with those struggling with PTSD. We also have underwritten a camp for soldiers returning home who are struggling with this. And Chad is the one, along with his wife, that leads those camps. This is a former world champion in mixed martial arts. This is one of the most amazing people I have ever met. He has been used in, in ways to serve this country that you can't even imagine. And he is going to share his story. And he's going to talk about living free. I can't wait for that Sunday, and I, I've raised that, that opportunity for you to come and bring people with you because it's all part of us getting stronger. As we listen to other people and how they have found grace in their own struggle, it helps us to learn how to find grace in ours. Today, we find a very special, important message from 2 Kings. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to go to that Old Testament book, 2 Kings. And I want us to go to chapter 5, and we'll begin at verse 1. 2 Kings, chapter 5, verse 1. The Bible says that the king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman. Naaman, the commander of his army. Because through him, Naaman... The Lord had given Aram great victories. Though Naaman was a mighty warrior, notice this, he suffered from leprosy. A parallel version says that Naaman was a great man, but he struggled with leprosy. So you have this interesting understanding of this guy who was successful. He was in an assignment. He was leading well and even bringing victory to the nation but he had this ongoing struggle in his personal life. This struggle of leprosy made him defiled. He not only needed healing, he also needed cleansing. We're going to see today what many people have written about it as the Naaman principle. It's when we understand the grace of God to cleanse and heal, and you see it, through something very unique. Look at verse 10. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. Naaman struggled with this approach. He wanted to know why Elisha couldn't just come out himself and pray over him and in a moment of prayer he could be cleansed and healed. Why the process? Why go to the Jordan? Why does he have to dunk himself, not once, twice, but seven times? What 
is God trying to teach us? Well, we know by Hebrew culture that each number represented something significant, like the number three represents the Trinity, and the number eight represents a new beginning because there were eight people who were saved from the flood. And if you study eight through the Bible, it's always a number of new beginnings. Well, the number seven is a number of completion, a number of wholeness, a number of thoroughness. That would be a key word here today. Thoroughness. Have you ever gone to the doctor? He gave you a prescription. He said, now listen, if you get better in a day, don't quit taking the medicine. Take it until the prescription is gone. Because he's wanting to make sure you don't just feel better, but you've actually addressed what was creating the problem that it's been thoroughly taken care of. The number seven means completion thoroughly. There are seven vials written about in Revelation. There are seven trumpets written about. When Jesus was on the cross, he gave seven last statements. And the seventh was this, it is finished, which meant it's complete, the work is done. So when he tells Naaman, you go to the Jordan, the Jordan is significant. Remember the Red Sea? The people had come out of Egypt, out of bondage, out of sin, if you will, the Exodus. They were brought out, the road out to the Red Sea. God opened the Red Sea by his divine power and made a way where there wasn't a way. He was the way. That is salvation. When you come to the Jordan, it is the work of the Holy Spirit. And what we're going to see today is this Naaman principle is about a process that we all submit to that we might live free. It is that work of sanctification that's ongoing. Sanctification is a word that is used in the Bible. It is often used in church circles. And it means when you get saved, you are sanctified. There's a purifying, cleansing, delivering power of God's grace that takes you from sinner to Christian. A metaphor from darkness to light. You're not who you used to be. A conversion has happened. You are brought out, sanctified. But there is another part to sanctification. It's the ongoing part. It is you are being changed. You are being transformed. You are being sanctified. This is where you learn to reckon with what it means to live in a contaminated world but honor God. To live in a contaminated world and deal with your humanity and your memory and still honor God. It's where we learn to crucify the flesh submit ourselves to Jesus, learn his way, experience his grace in an ongoing process of spiritual growth and renewal. I was raised in a home where God was the center. I was taken to church from the earliest age I can remember. I went to church. It's like we were there if the doors were open in attendance. And so I remember these words being used. I remember hearing people say, God can do an amazing miracle of salvation and freedom in your life. I also remember them saying, and then there's this ongoing part. But I think it was me. I missed the understanding of the ongoing part. And I attached myself to the event. I attached myself to the miracle moment. You see, I believe God can do miracles. 
I heard of a guy recently who went to a chiropractor. He was experiencing some pain. The chiropractor applied the pressure at just the right place. In just a, a moment, he put things right and restored functionality. And this guy came out saying, pain's gone. I'm able to do what I used to. It's, it's all good. I believe in the power of Jesus to apply the, the pressure where it's needed and to bring a miracle and to restore function to your dysfunctional life. I believe that in a moment. But I also know that you have to connect and marry the event to the process or else you end up confused and you wonder if maybe what you prayed through in the moment was real. I want to be honest about the journey today. Because some of you in this room prayed about something when you were 15. And you begged God. You prayed long and loud. And asked God to set you free. And when you turned 25, you were still praying about it. And when you turned 35. So, what is going on in that scenario? How do we help ourselves and help our young people to understand that when they ask Jesus to forgive them, that he does. When, it, when they ask Jesus to save them, he does. But then when they are confronted with temptation as Satan taps into the contamination of the culture, triggering parts of humanity and memory, what do we do then? How do we keep people from questioning their salvation and just learning to reckon with humanity and memory through the grace and the power of God? Today, I want to talk to you about what it means to keep dunking yourself in the power of grace. you got to keep doing it. What do I mean? I, I want to use the word grace for a moment. When Naaman was taught, go to the Jordan, dunk yourself, not one time, but seven. You just keep doing that. I say, what I mean by grace is, you don't just run to Jesus once. You don't just get fire insurance and settle the eternal equation of your life. You keep coming to Jesus with your humanity, with your, your sin. You keep coming to Jesus. You keep coming to grace. And this is what I mean by run to him. Lord, here comes another wave of thoughts that I shouldn't have and I hate. But I want to be honest, Lord. I hate them, but I love them. I hate them, but I love them at the same time. I don't want to have these because I know what can happen, but I want to have these thoughts. Lord, you're going to have to help me here because what I want to do, I'm not doing. What I shouldn't do, that's really what I'm interested in. Lord, I feel really wicked and Satan is telling me to run from you. And I feel guilty because I thought I'd prayed this through. Lord, matter of fact, you remember, I, I begged you. Lord, I've been talking to you about this for a year now, for two years now, for five years now. Lord, I want you to see these thoughts I'm having. I want my loyalty and allegiance to be to you. But God, I am struggling and I don't want this wave of darkness to take me away. Lord, you see this, I'm actually nourishing these dark thoughts. And if you do that, it leads to sin and you feel deviled all again. 
So then what am I to do? Was I never saved? Or was I saved, but I'm still dealing with my humanity? Spiritual warfare, living in a contaminated world, all of which the enemy can use in a strategic attack against me. I have to learn to reckon with those realities. How? What do I do? Run to Jesus. Don't run away. Run to Him. There's not a father in this room who when your child was learning to walk and they fell down, that you scolded them. No. You ran to them. You, you picked them up. You, you encouraged them. You said, you can do it. Come on. It's going to be all right. And then when they turned 15 and they had the, the whole walking thing down, but now you're dealing with attitude, you start working on that. You don't give up on them. You, you, you don't shut them out. You're trying to help them to do life, to learn how to deal with everything that's going on in their heart, in their emotions, in their, their culture. You're helping them navigate. You don't want them to run from you. You want them to run to you because you're a loving parent. God is a loving God. He's not mad at anybody in this room. And, and lest anybody think that we're, we're getting on a verge of people getting the wrong concept of God, read the Bible. God isn't angry with people who are trying to grow spiritually but are running right into their own humanity and satanic spiritual warfare and at times miss the mark. He would rather have you messy than not at all. Hear this today. What I mean by grace is you're willing to get honest about that thought process. Say, Lord, I don't want this. And as you do, you're going to experience grace. The operational power of God that applies to your life and helps you start overcoming, living free, so that it's the practical reality. It's not just something, you know, spiritually speaking. It's like you're experiencing the freedom in your thoughts, in your emotions, in your life. Number two, not only grace, but the guidelines of God. God's Word. This is where you weed and seed. You, you start subtracting those things that you know are hurtful, that will do damage. You then sow that which will help you. You start investing time in the Word so that the Word gets in you. It gets a part of you. It, it, it's engrafted so that you are changing your mindset. You, you are starting to be transformed. See, you just keep immersing yourself in grace and the guidelines of God, the grace of God, the Word of God. When Israel came out of Egypt and then when they came through the Jordan... They had giants, walled cities, all kinds of things that required conquest, battle. And at each one, they had to determine at the stronghold, would they trust and obey? Would they trust and obey? There was a process. Had they learned it earlier, they wouldn't have spent 40 years in the wilderness. And we talk about those hard-hearted 
stiff-necked Israelites that just wouldn't trust God. But just look in the mirror because we deal with the same reality in our own life. And, And we love when the Red Sea is splitting wide open. But it's not as easy when we're left to ourselves and it's then that we have to keep immersing ourselves even when we don't feel like it in the grace of God and the word of God where we just go out and put the spiritual gloves on and say, we're going to get rid of some things and we're going to add some things. That's a spiritual sweat equity that's got to be put into this in order to walk out the reality of freedom. See, this is the part. When I was a kid, we had church. And the young people, we had this church camp in the summer. And then in November, we had like this retreat. And I just lived with this mindset. If I can make it to camp, I'm going to get on fire for God. And that fire will be out just about November when we hit youth retreat. And I'll get it stirred up again, and maybe that'll carry until the summer. And so I had this roller coaster Christianity thing going on. And I felt guilt, shame, all of these things, because I didn't have the maturity to understand process. Just keep immersing yourself in the grace of God every day, in the word of God every day. Number three, community support. Here the ministry is called Living Free, that where there's grace, because you see it in the stories of others, where there's the guidelines of God, scriptural teaching. It's called discipleship. But listen, there's something even in addition to that. It's where you borrow the authority of others. What do I mean? There are times that we're all weak and we need the prayer support of other people. We need the prayer support of people who say, you're going to make it and they go to God on your behalf. You, you get that accountability in your life. Now do you see what I mean by, by a, a modern day Jordan River seven times experience grace, word of God, community support, get in a class, Get in a ministry where the word of God and fellowship and connection, prayer support, accountability, keep giving yourself to the process. And when you open up the file of memory and you see what used to have such domination in your life, you realize it doesn't have it anymore because you are cleansed and being cleansed. You are free and being set free. You are transformed and being transformed. You truly are making progress. It has lost its hold on you. It's process. Process. And in the American culture, it flies against the grain because everything's immediate. We want things now. We don't like to wait. We, we, you know, one drive-through window is not enough. Put another one in. So that we can pay it one, pick up the food. Could they just arrange it where you never have to stop? You've got two or three places to place your order. Man, let's, let's make this. Let, it, we want it now. We want a microwaved spirituality just like Naaman. Can't the prophet come out here 
and just pray, wave his wand? Do I need to go to the Jordan and dip seven times? Yes. Yes, you do. Because if we don't understand the process, we never reckon with humanity. A contaminated culture. And we end up circling in the wilderness of our sin. Instead of breaking free. Let me show you another one. The next one is forgiveness. Because when you get saved, often you come to the Lord dirty and wounded. Wounded because of things, that choices you made that got yourself into such situations that it's like you lost part of who you, who you were. And there's a need for an inner healing. Or things were done to you. And so you need forgiveness. And when we say, you know, you need to offer forgiveness. Maybe you need to forgive yourself. Maybe there's someone you need to forgive. And when Peter was talking to Jesus about forgiveness, he said, you know, how many times should we forgive? Like, I'm thinking, Peter, I love him. He goes, I'm thinking seven times. You see, Peter knows the culture. He's like, now here's a number. Jesus is going to love this because I'm going for the number. I could say four or eight. I'm going, you know, like the perfect, like seven times. And, And Jesus just saw right through his wicked heart. And Jesus said, how about 70 times 7? And what he's saying is you've got to forgive and keep forgiving because if you've been significantly betrayed, abused, and that kind of trust at that level has been broken, you know that forgiveness is a process. And what happens is over time as you forgive and keep forgiving by the grace of God and the enemy like opens the file of memory and shows you that incident, that accident, that betrayal, that abandonment, that abuse because you've been in a process of immersing yourself in grace, God's word, support and forgiveness suddenly as you look at that situation and recall that because see Salvation doesn't take away your memory. And you recall that the detail of that situation, all that intense emotion isn't there. And you realize that a work of freedom has happened in your heart through the process. There's a story of these two brothers that got at odds with each other and there was deep betrayal and they hated each other and it had been a long time since they had seen each other and bitterness had seeded up in their heart. And uh, the one brother saw at a distance his other brother, and man, he felt his fist just clenched. And he, he just made up his mind. When he comes around the corner, um, it's on. And when his brother came around the corner, he locked eyes, and right about the time he was going to hit him, he just opened his hands, and he broke. He said, what made you break? He said, well... When I looked into his eyes, I saw the eyes of my father. And when I saw the eyes of my father, my enemy once again became 
my brother. When you recognize the grace of the Father in your life, somehow you release that desire for retaliation and revenge and you start walking in a grace to where you are free. And if you don't move to this step, it will always be a blockade of all God wants in your life. And we just live in a cruel, messed up world and there are people sitting here today, you or those near you, and you're still really struggling over the fact of what happened in your home, what someone did to you, and you've come to Jesus you not only need to be cleansed, you need to be healed. What do I do with my dirt? What do I do with my wound? You dunk that continually in grace, God's word, positive, mature Christian fellowship and ongoing forgiveness. Matt Redman is known as a worship leader, and probably if you don't know him, it would be more meaningful at, time, at some point. Just check him out. He's written many, many songs, a national influence on the church and the world. God's just put so many incredible songs in him. He's a fabulous worship leader. A few people know that when he was seven, his father committed suicide, Two years later, his mom remarried. Everything seemed to be great, but his new dad started taking advantage of him and sexually abused him for a period of 18 months. His life was filled with such confusion and challenge. And as a young adult, he realized he had come to a V. And the Lord just made it real to him. You've got one of two paths. You're either going to go a path of brokenness and bitterness and you're going to be filled with that. Or you'll take another path which is truth, freedom, and ultimately you'll be filled with, with worship. Now, again, he's really mightily used of God. Incredible marriage, five kids. He's leading worship today. But think of where he could be. And he talks about how broken and bitter he was and, and how this healing has been a process. He had to continually give himself to the grace of God, to the word of God, to support and forgiveness again and again. And he writes some of the most powerful songs about the fatherhood of God. A guy whose father committed suicide and stepfather sexually abused him. And out of him comes some of the most powerful songs about the fatherhood of God. How can that be? Because the Holy Spirit just was available and as he kept immersing himself 
instead of a stream that produced bitterness and continual brokenness, it's now a stream where truth and power and influence and anointing flows. And the same can be for you. So back to Naaman. He's defiled because that's what leprosy does to you. It's a disease. He has to have something that can bring cleansing and healing. He wants a miracle moment. He gets the strategy of process. He finally submits his pride and he goes to the Jordan, a type of the Holy Spirit. And he immerses himself once, twice. And here's my question. What if he had stopped after the second time? But you know, why am I having to do this? He could have just prayed over me. What if he had stopped after the third time? Or the fourth time? Or after the sixth time? For it was after the seventh time that he was completely, listen, thoroughly clean and healed. I believe there are people in this room, and you've come to God before. You've come more than once. And you're tempted to not come again. The word of the Lord is, keep immersing yourself. Keep running to God. Keep opening your heart to God. For the chains will be broken. You will be made clean and you will be healed. So many times in this process, we we realize we're praying about one thing, but our issue is another. You can go to a movie theater and there's like all of these, these movies. And so you figure out in which one is the movie showing that you want to see. I've at times seen that process. It's like I've seen people come and pray, and it's like they're in the room of like praying about sexual sin. But until they get over here in this room and deal with the unforgiveness that is in their heart, they're not going to get freedom over here in the room of sexual sin. In the process, we, the searchlight of the Holy Spirit comes on and we realize what the core of the issue is. So that we're not just praying about symptoms, but we're dealing with the foundation. Because we don't want to just address symptoms, because they'll recur. We want to address causes. And when you keep immersing yourself, God gives grace, wisdom, power. And then finally, like Paul, who said, Oh, what I want to do, I'm not doing, I keep doing what I know is wrong. Oh, wretched man that I am. 
But he kept immersing himself and finally said, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, it has made me free from the law of sin and death. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. And over in chapter 12, he talks about being not conformed to the world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind and offering yourselves a living, holy sacrifice, which is just reasonable. It just just makes sense. A God of such grace and mercy, he, you just look forward to giving all that you are. And as you're driving down the road one day, Satan will trigger a memory with a contaminated culture and strike your humanity and try to create a moment of temptation. But you've been so immersing yourself in the power of mercy, grace, forgiveness, healing. You realize the spirit man has been built up and there's a shield of faith and it it blocks that fiery dart of wickedness that wanted to strike at your soul and your emotions and inflame your thoughts and character with sin. It used to happen that way. It used to overtake you and you, you didn't stop it and you couldn't stop it. But as you've given yourself to the process, you're living free. You're living free. Anybody who goes fishing, they will take a lure They will read the signs of where they are. Perhaps they have a fish finder and a depth finder and everything about it says there are fish here. And then because of climate and depth and conditions, you then select a lure that you know is prone to work in those conditions. And you cast and you work that lure and all of a sudden you feel on the end of the line a fish has struck and you set the hook And you bring in this fish. And now here you have this fish that struck for what was fake and phony. You were successful at just showing him the bait and hiding the hook. And now you got it. You got to wonder if there are other fish down there who say, you know, every time one of my fish friends do that, they never come back. We live real close to the Arkansas River. I was raised in a town right near the Arkansas River. And there there were some huge fish in the river because some of those fish had learned the difference between the fake and the real. And they were trophies in the water, not on somebody's wall, because they had wised up. Satan is an ultimate angler. He looks at your humanity and he sees with culture and memory this current circumstance what you're most prone to strike and that's the lure that he uses and he knows how to work it he knows the time to work it he knows when you're most likely to strike he knows Paul says in Ephesians that that's how strategic he is is he wants to smear you he wants to destroy you he wants to hang you on his wall And say, I got another one. That's what he wants to do. God wants to so help you. That when Satan is trying 
with such strategy that there is a resolve in you to know the difference and to not even want the fake and the phony. Because you know what? There was a day, it's like you even may have known there was a hook, but you didn't care because you still wanted it. But as you've given yourself to the process, there's a cleansing, there's a healing. And you're able to do life in freedom. And you're able to praise God for where he's brought you. And you think, man, where you would be if but for the grace and the help of God. And you're leading a life that is functioning and you're influencing your family and you're making a difference in your world. You see, the way of the transgressor is the hard way. Living for Jesus, it's not easy, but it's the blessed way. Listen, I'm, I'm talking, I sense it. I'm reaching to somebody right now. Run to Jesus again. Again. If you've gotten hooked, and the hook is deep, run to Jesus again. If you prayed about it a week ago, a year ago, five years ago, run to Jesus again. Immerse yourself in grace again, again, again. There's too much life in front of you. Immerse yourself in God's grace. For if you will confess your sin, His blood will cleanse you of your sin. You'll be made right, renewed, like new. You'll be set on a new path and you can work the process with eyes closed. If this message has found you at a place where you need to run to him again, would you just raise your hand? That's me. God bless you. Get honest with him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, help us to just see miracles happen and miracles unfold. Miracles in a moment and miracles over time. Miracles of divine grace and deliverance and a miracle of transformation over time. Amen. You'll look this way. Oh, I remember my church. This dilemma happening inside of my heart and I remember just sitting at an altar just like this saying, Lord, you can help me understand this. You can help me. And he did. He did. And he wants to help you today. If you want to just give yourself, submit this to him, I would be honored to pray with you, to be saved, to rededicate your life to the Lord, to just say, hey, I'm saved. But I need to dunk my life in the grace one more time again I need to forgive myself someone else I need to forgive again I need to give myself to the process again I want you to know as you do the chains are going to be broken I say that by the word of the Lord the chains will be broken as the team sings just that part if you want to respond as they sing you come and we'll pray together Chains are gone, I've been set free. My God, my Savior has ransomed me. And life.